0: Welcome to the Balanced Blueprints podcast, where we discuss the optimal techniques for finances and health, and then break it down to create an individualized and balanced plan. I'm your host, Justin Gaines, here with my co-host, John Prover. This is part two of what a client meeting should look like and how it should go. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode.
1: So if I can just recap real quick, and then you can bring in the next step or continue. They're going to reach out to you or they're going to be referred by someone. You have an awesome system in place, which they'll just come to you on your own terms through a text message when they're ready. You're then going to talk about your pricing and how you're paid first, because it's important to be upfront. You get to learn a lot about them, their goals, their needs, and that's going to lead into the four steps of retirement you talked about. Then you talked about budgeting and some other things. And we actually, whether it should be before this podcast, but our last podcast, you actually talked about budgeting, how to build a budget, all that stuff. So there's great information there too. You talked about some legacy and so after you're building that budget, talking about assets, net worth. So what would be next?
0: So once we once we do the overview book, and generally this order gets jumbled around because we just we flow with the meaning depending on each client, what it looks like. But if we haven't already identified your desired income at retirement, which we've already discussed, but if we haven't determined that value, we determine that value. We haven't yet determined your retirement age. We've just determined the amount of income you want in distribution. And if you want to leave any legacy, if you want to leave legacy, we've identified to what extent, and that's going to allow us to determine what our accumulation number needs to be from that. And now we have a budget in front of us. So now we look at, okay, we have an accumulation number target. Let's now talk about the vehicles that we can use that are tax advantaged, that aren't tax advantaged. The main ones that most people are gonna use is we're gonna gonna talk and look at your total comp package from your employer, because we wanna look at what protection vehicles and also what income accumulation vehicles and savings vehicles does your work offer that we can use in order to maximize our budget and maximize our contributions. Because if you have a 401k and your company matches, I'm not a huge fan of 401k as accumulation vehicles, but if your company's matching your contributions, you're making 100% return day one. So you automatically have had 100% return. You'd have to have a 50% reduction in your investments in order to be at break even. That's a no-brainer, Yeah, like, that's a no-brainer.
1: <laughs> even I understand.
0: <laughs> like it, it used to be contributing to your 401ks up to your yeah. company match, but not exceeding your company match. Yeah. Contribute your 401k up to the company match. We'll look at your, your company package, determine what that number is, put that in there. And we'll you sometimes you'll have options for different types of 401ks. So we'll we'll make a decision there as well. We're gonna talk about Roth IRAs versus traditional IRAs. And an IRA is just an investment retirement account. So a Roth IRA, your money's taxed now. So taxes will come out of your paycheck, and then you're putting money into the Roth IRA post-tax dollars. A traditional IRA, you're putting it in pre-tax dollars. So it's going to lower your taxable income now, but you're going to pay taxes on distribution. Mm. So now our accumulation number needs to be larger because we're going to lose a portion of that to Uncle Sam mm. in distribution. So that's why we want to worry about distribution phase first.
1: Is it the same amount usually taken out or will taxes
0: change over time? So typically that's an exercise we do with a client is what do you think? do you you think taxes are going to increase or decrease over time?
1: Imagine they increase.
0: (laughs) I mean, if you look at the U.S. spending habits, I don't see the U.S. government decreasing their spending. The way that they are able to fund their spending is through taxes. Generally speaking, over a long period of time, taxes are going to increase. And if you look back at history, taxes have increased over time. So as a result of that, we want to decrease our taxable income (laughs) in distribution. Now, the other reason why is, Say somebody says, I think taxes are gonna go down or they're gonna stay the same, okay? Let's take our pre-tax dollars in contributions. We're gonna grow something, okay? If we put in $6,000 a year, $500 a month into a IRA for 30 or 40 years, that's going to accumulate to a certain dollar amount. And if I have my calculator, I can actually, I do. I have my I have my
1: handy Texas handy. Instrument
0: college. Calculator That's right. <laughs> that nobody liked to use, but I love this thing. So let's see. Let me just run a quick calculation here. But if so, if we have 40 40 years, say we say we average uh, we'll go very conservative. Stock market generally S&P 500 over the last 40 years has averaged somewhere between seven and ten percent. Let's put it at seven percent. Present value of the accounts, zero. We're putting in $6,000 a year, and we're doing that every year. So let's solve for that. So for 40 payments, that's gonna get us to, with a 7% rate of return, $6,000 of contributions a year, it gets us to just over one and a quarter million dollars. Now we've only contributed though, let's see, gotta get out of here. So we've contributed $240,000, but we have a 1.28 million. So we've we've grown a million dollars in gains, but because it was pre-tax dollars, all of that money is going to be taxed.
1: Right, the lump but sum of 1.28 million
0: is going to be taxed. Mm-hmm. But in order, so in order for the taxes on 1.28 million to equal the same level of tax on a quarter of a million dollars of income, your tax rate would have to go down so low that you'd effectively have to be in a tax-free society.
1: So we're talking with a Roth IRA, R, IRA that two hundred fifty thousand you put in will be taxed, versus Correct. a regular IRA, the one point two eight million would be taxed, and obviously we're talking percentages, so it would be much higher. Correct. Weird, so why talking, they even have
0: IRAs then? <laughs> so well, the issue is is that your contributions to your Roth IRA is capped. So okay. you can only You can only contribute up to sixty five hundred dollars. A year in 2023, this number gets adjusted for inflation. So it generally goes up. And then if you're over the age of 50, you can contribute an extra $1,000 for catch up contributions to allow you to grow your account faster.
1: If someone caps that yearly, though, are they like if you, if your goal is I'm just going to cap, hit that cap every year, is that putting you at a good enough position or is it not? That, okay. No,
0: it's not putting you at a good enough position because if we take, so we'll do the same thing. We'll say, do the we'll do the calculation again let's say that you start most of my clients we have to be aggressive with their accounts and with their strategies and they have to contribute more because they start later the younger you start the more compounding you get but a lot of my clients generally start around age 30 Mm -hmm. and depending on their distribution targets i generally am telling them they have to retire at 70 not 65 because they haven't saved anything yet Mm-hmm. So that's 40 years, and that's where I'm pulling that 40 year from. from, 30 to 70, 40 years of growth. Let's say we put them in aggressive strategies, and they're hitting that top 10%. They have nothing right now. They're contributing $6,500. With this calculator, I can't adjust for uh, the increases over the years. But let's just put it at 65 and see where we get, even though technically – with the growth of inflation and stuff we're probably we'll add two hundred thousand dollars to this number in order to account for the compounding and the growth that occurs there because generally speaking if you put it into a calculator that's what you're going to end up with Mm and then ten percent forty years at ten percent sixty five hundred bucks so that would put you at roughly three million dollars Now, there's a couple problems with this calculation. One, it assumes 10% rate of return every single year, never missing. Mm-hmm. So that is an error in the calculation that's being accounted for. You know, if we get a year that the market drops, which is gonna happen, there's gonna be down years. Yeah. That's gonna throw off this whole calculation. So adding the 200,000, you're probably, conservatively, you're probably looking at somewhere between 2.8 and 3.2 million. Yeah. Now, again, if we want the 100,000 a distribution, we're still short of the $4 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So generally speaking, if you're maxing out a Roth for 40 years, it'll put you in a position where you can get by.
1: Yeah, That's maybe like, half of what you want.
0: Right. It's It'll put you in a spot. You'll be able to live. You'll be able to retire. You'll be able to get by. But it's not going to put you in a comfortable position. So we want to look at other vehicles as well. And that's where we start talking about a 7702 plan. So a 7702 plan has all of the same tax advantage benefits as a Roth IRA, and it has two extra ones. The two extra, contra- or the two extra benefits are you don't have to wait to age 59 and a half to take distributions. You can take distributions if it's funded properly, you technically could take distributions at year one. Once you start contributing and the money's there, you can start taking distributions. You ideally wouldn't do that with that strategy you'd want it to be in there for a longer period of time to compound and grow but if you needed to you could the other benefit is that it actually blooms or blossoms as we say when you die because there's a death benefit portion so that builds your legacy so a lot of times what i'm doing with clients is we're looking at a roth ira a 7702 plan and then additional investment and saving accounts based on what makes the most sense because the The Roth IRA is gonna get us most of the way to our distribution need. Hmm. A 7702 plan, properly structured, will give you additional supplementary distribution in retirement, as well as funding your legacy. So it allows us to fund stages three and four. And then whatever our gap is in stage three, we find additional savings accounts, whether it's a traditional IRA, the 401k that you're contributing to, and that allows us to get that buffer to be able to max this all out and make it so that we have enough distribution to cover everything. Does the seven, it's 7002?
1: 7702. 7702, does that one, so that comes with life insurance when you die? Or that's-
0: 7702 is the tax code that refers to how universal life insurance is taxed. Okay. So, what I, generally the reason why I refer to it as a 7702 plan is because if I talk to a client first about life insurance, they, oh, I don't want to talk about that, you know. Right. They don't those the are standard.
1: combined.
0: They're the, they're the same thing, just That's different That's what I thought. That's the good. synonym for it. Yeah, that right. makes sense. And Most then, people don't know about life insurance and how to use it properly. They know one or two things, or yeah. their financial advisor that knows nothing about life insurance. I, I was just on a call uh, last week. With a financial advisor who was advising my client, my new client, to keep his life insurance and continue to pay for it. I was advising him that under the circumstances that it was, it was an account that I acquired, so I didn't write this policy, technically wasn't structured properly, needed to be canceled and cashed in. Take the tax implication now, take the money, invest it somewhere else because it wasn't structured properly and it wasn't basically the policy was gonna eat itself up and it was junk, it was garbage. And a lot of people get life insurance policies. They're not structured properly and they are garbage. So people don't want to talk about life insurance because they've only heard about the terrible scenarios with it. Right. But the, here's a financial advisor telling this person, yeah, but if you keep paying into this, it's going to give you this huge amount of money and legacy planning. Yes, but the amount that you're going to pay into it, it's going to eat up yeah. your, inter, your internal rate of return and you're not going to get this. Right. And that was simply a case of this financial advisor not knowing what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And just getting blinded by the death benefit number that was so large and not realizing and calculating for distribution and legacy planning properly, he's getting blinded by a number. And thinking about, well, if this death benefit comes in, I'll have an accumulation number here for a future generation. And again, blinders on, focused on accumulation, Mm -hmm. not focused on distribution, not focused on legacy planning. And so it's a case of if I talk about it as a 7702 plan, explain all the benefits, explain how it works. Yeah. People are like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. If we do this right, this this could work. But if I talk about life insurance, yeah.
1: I'm not it's listening. Like, yeah. It's like, oh I it's like, here's a delicious meal like so, You eat it, you love it. And you're like, yeah, there's liver in there. Like, exactly. Oh. Yeah, it's exactly
0: the same thing. It's like, wow, amazing. What is it? Helping you. When, and I even knew that this was the case. by so the time that you were cooking that beef tongue, yeah, and I it know. smelled amazing. And I was like, Man, I know what this is and I Got do not want to eat this, but it smells so, so good I have to try it. And it's one of those things that, like, if I didn't know what it was, if I wasn't there when you started cooking it, and you are like, oh, here, try some. And I tried Should it. I, was, I would have had the same reaction I did. I would be like, wow, this was amazing, and not even realize what it, what it was. Right. But so for, for sake of time, I'm going to yep. jump us through. So we talk about the different accumulation vehicles. We talk about legacy planning. We do a whole education thing around that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to identify, if we haven't already identified it, I'm going to explicitly ask what other protection vehicles you have. So we're going to talk about your home insurance, your life insurance, your renter's insurance, auto insurance, all of these things. Because part of what's going to keep you on your path is making sure that your current financial assets are protected, Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason why we put the income earning in the balance sheet is knowing that that's protected. So since we had the balance sheet, now I'm going to go through and say, is this asset protected? Is this asset protected? Is this asset protected? And make sure it is. And then we can adjust and make sure that you're paying the appropriate amount, that it's properly covered, all of that sort of stuff. Because if we find something, an asset that's not properly covered, and we have a catastrophic loss, everything everything we just did gets counteracted because you just had a house fire and you don't have enough coverage to replace all of that. So yeah. now your net worth just went down as a result of something completely out of your control, and it could have been corrected by paying an extra 25 $50 a month or potentially even a year in insurance. And so using insurance properly as a income and cash flow protection vehicle, which is really what insurance should be used for, is a cash flow protection vehicle. We're able to make sure that you're gonna stay in your path as long as possible. So we identify all the insurance protections. And at this point, we're at an hour and a half, we're exhausted, we've you know the client and myself are both burnt out at this point. There's so much information. I will have written this out in notes. I give the client a copy of it to take home, review everything. We haven't talked about selling anything. We haven't talked about, we've talked about potentially where we're gonna move stuff and we've talked about potential sales of product, but we're not selling anything in this meeting. Like that is a guarantee that I give every client is we are not selling anything in this meeting. Sometimes I'll have a client that wants to meet for two to three hours and knock out two meetings in one. And what I do in that situation in order to continue to give my promise, is I say, okay, we're moving into our second meeting now. Mm -hmm. And usually I have us get up, have a glass of water, take a little you know, quick little walk around the office or something and and come back and say, okay, this is our second meeting. Mm -hmm. This is where we're gonna talk about where we're moving stuff, how we're moving it, why we're moving it. That's where an actual sale will potentially occur. Mm -hmm. But in between the end of the first meeting and the second one, everybody's exhausted. This is where I say, is there anything that I haven't clearly addressed in this meeting that's a concern of yours or that you feel we should have talked about right they say yes they say no we talk about it then i ask okay did you get value in this meeting yes or no if no then, th- then there's a big problem if we just spend an hour hour and a half together and i didn't provide you value like i screwed up, I yeah. screwed up. <laughs> that's not on you typically the client's going to say yes and then i just remind them that at the beginning of the meeting we talked about if i provided value that you would fairly compensate me through giving me introductions. Mm-hmm. Could we sit down right now and identify five people for you to do an introduction, whether you're give me their number and I'll reach out to them or preferably put them in a group chat, send the text. I'll even pull up my backend CRM system to show them like put them in a group text and you'll literally see that their number doesn't come up. Yeah. And then once they see that, they're like, okay, you have their name because they said, hey, this is Gary and you know gary i think you should talk to justin i just met with him and he helped me out with my finances and we're putting together a plan and i think you could benefit from a conversation with him He sees that i don't have gary's number though and that's happened before where gary gary will respond while we're still in the meeting and then it pops up with a new number unidentified and then i have to go back to his tax admin number so we'll we'll identify that that way Once we do the introductions, then we schedule our next meeting for three to seven business days from the current meeting. Now, sometimes people have vacations. That doesn't work. Generally speaking, three to seven business days allows both of us to be on a time constraint to do our homework, whether it's getting the information that we weren't, that we didn't have on hand, so we're filling in any gaps. I'm producing calculations and quotes for people. It gives us that time that we're not just like, oh, it's three weeks out. I can let that sit there three to seven days gives me enough time to remember the conversation and like one of my meetings i had yesterday i ended up while i was doing that because i had some time left over in the day i was putting together some stuff and i was going back through my notes and i realized that our calculation was actually slightly aired because his he's currently living with a bunch of friends renting he's going to be living with his significant other rent's going to go up significantly because it's only two people instead of four people and we we were building his budget out, and we forgot to take. In, we were building it under the current circumstance. Forgot to take into account my rent's going to change in eight months. Mm-hmm. So then we kind of we know in our next meeting we're going to need to recalculate this, and that's part of what that second meeting is about: is making sure we have all the information, recalculating, readjusting, educating through that process. Nice. Generally speaking, that's the that's the bulk yeah. of our first meeting and, and how we go through everything.
1: Yeah, there's definitely some things I like. You're thinking about life insurance in a different way in our advantage. uh, So that's awesome. And then, yeah, it's more of a comfortable thing. There was one other, but I can't remember. But either way, you brought up a lot of plans too that will be great starting points for other podcasts going into IRA, Roth IRA 7702, specifics of each of those for future ones.
0: For sure. For sure. No, we can definitely break them down. But yeah, for sake of time, breaking down a strategy, getting into these things. I mean, even if you look at the length of this podcast, we didn't even spend like I did 99% of the talking and we're at, I mean, the recording here says 54 minutes. I'm sure there's some time in the beginning that we were recording that was going to get cut off. That wasn't part mm-hmm. of the podcast, but we're already at, if we're doing an hour and a half meeting, we're at 45 minutes, half of that. The other 45 minutes would be taken up by the client.
1: Yeah, talking, questions. sharing yeah. that
0: information, questions, all of that sort of stuff, but We'd run through all the education. we make sure that there's enough time. But generally speaking, it's going to be an hour and a half in order to be able to get a holistic view of your position and educate you on what the process is going to look like. I don't want anybody going in blind and saying, okay, we're going to take on a second meeting another hour of my time. Now we're at two and a half hours, and I don't even know what the process looks like. We want to identify that process, talk it through. Because the process doesn't work for you, and you're not interested in it. Then that's, that's fine. That just means that the path that we're talking about and the pathway that we're looking at, you don't want to take. And that's okay. It's just, I'm not going to be the right financial advisor for you if you don't want to look at your retirement plan in four phases and take into consideration your actual end goals and then reverse engineering it. Right. If that's not how you want to do it, then I'm not going to be the best financial advisor for you.
1: Same reason why a vegan probably won't want
0: to work with me. <laughs> If if your ideologies don't line up, then your ideologies don't line up. That's just what it is. But one of the things that's uh, beneficial, that's not necessarily true in the health world, because there is the science and constant new knowledge and stuff coming up. Mm. In the health and the finance world, it's one of one of my coaches. One of the things he says is finances isn't religion. So you can't be pro something or against something. You either know how to use it in the proper situation or you don't. Yeah. So like somebody who says, oh, I'm pro-life insurance or I'm anti-life insurance, that's somebody who doesn't understand life insurance. Right. Because life insurance, you can it's not a religion. It's not pro or con. Life insurance is used for specific situations mm-hmm. and it's very targeted. And so if you are in a situation where you need that, then it makes sense. And if you're not, then you're not. But if you don't understand it, you're either pro-life insurance, anti-life insurance versus it'd be like saying I'm pro-roth IRA and I'm anti-Roth IRA. Right. That's that doesn't make sense either. No. You know, it's it's either it works for your specific situation or it doesn't. And we can plug this in as a piece of the pie or take it out because it's not the right ingredient for the pie. Right. But you can't with financial vehicles, you can't be pro and con it's you either know the situation it's good yeah
1: no i think that's exactly the same for a health world and it's just a great key to look for in someone you go to whether it's a health expert or a financial expert you don't want someone stuck in a viewpoint stuck in some certain dogma you know you don't want them to be dogmatic it's like yes i'd push for just because this is the example i used animal-based eating but if someone has low stomach acid for example we may go without high quality you know high amounts of animal products. So you never want someone who's black and white or stuck in stuff. And that's what all this is about.
0: Yeah. You got to have that individualized, personalized plan with specific tools that are well known that can be used for your specific situation in order to maximize your pathway and make it so that your pathway has the least amount of resistance.
1: Yeah. Our job is to interpret those things. You know, we're the middleman in terms of, there's all these diets, all these financial plans, this is where you're at, you know, we interpret
0: it. Right, and you, and part of what it is is explaining there are pros and cons of the vehicles for situations, but mm-hmm. you can't be pro or con completely yeah. of one of those. And our job is to explain to the client, here are the pros, here are the cons, yep. and here's the next best thing, and here are the pros, here are the cons, which one could you stick with the longest? that's the one we're going to go with. It might not be the best one, but if it's the best one for you, then it's the right one.
1: Thanks for listening to our podcast.
0: We hope this helps you on your balanced freedom journey.
1: Please share your thoughts in the comments section below.
0: Until next time, stay balanced.